Well, good morning. It's fabulous to see you all. You sound great. Let me ask you a question. When we took that Selah moment, when we pressed pause, it was only one minute. How many of you found your minds wandering a bit? Yeah. How many of you had task lists running through your mind, either stuff you had to get at the store or do, whether it was today or later in the week? Was that anyone? How many of you found it to just be this moment of release and relief? It was like it was some kind of gift for your soul. How many of you experienced that? I would guess that many of us, if not most of us, we've lost the art of pressing pause in our lives, at least on a regular basis. I, I would consider myself normal. Now I know some of you are going to take your shots at me later for saying that. <laughs> But I'm normal, just like many of you. Uh, I live a pretty full and busy life. My mind is always full of things I need to do, places I need to go, people I need to meet with, schedules I need to manage, problems I need to fix. Uh, my days are full of motion and sometimes commotion. I'm, I would say my, the pace is not out of control. There's just more things to get done, 100 plus things every day than what I have time to get done. I wake up early. I go to bed tired, and all the things have not been checked off, and I get up to do it again the next day, and the next day, and the next day. My wife, she's busy. My kids, they're busy. Eric, busy. Rest, not so much. When I think back to one of my most aggressive seasons of life, and Sue Ann reminds me often that every season of your life is aggressive and the pace is out of control. I'm like, that's not true. She's like, believe me, it's true. But I was finishing up my MDiv, my second graduate degree, you know, here at the church. This was several years back. But I was working about 50 to 60 hours with the church, another 20 to 25 hours with graduate school. I was also managing a travel baseball team. That was another 20 to 25 hours of practices, games, and tournaments on the weekend. Not to mention I was married. The kids had their activities. We had social engagements. Every second of my day was accounted for from when I woke up to when I went to bed. And at one point, I worked 60 straight days. That doesn't include baseball and all the other stuff. That was just, you know, stuff with the church and graduate school. 60 straight days of full days of working without taking a break. Most often, I would only do like three to four weeks in a row without taking a break. But I remember when I would stop, when I would just recoup, I was so restless and anxious, I could not justify wasting the time for an afternoon or even for a whole day to stop because there was just so much that either needed to get done or I needed to get ahead for the week coming up. You can imagine that that kind of pace, and many of you live not, you know, as I would say, normal in our culture today, that kind of pace can deplete you, can make you tired. And what I'm describing may not be too far from your life. Even if you're a child or a student here today, you've got the demands of school and homework. You might be in sports, clubs, other activities. You've got your friend groups. You've got all the social media and Insta, Snap, whatever to manage. Like, you have a full life too. Or whether you're a mom or a dad or you work outside the home or whatever it is, you fill in the blank. We live pretty aggressive busy lives. We've cultivated this 24-7 go, 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 go lifestyle. And sometimes we just don't know how to get off that 
treadmill even when we want to. <clears throat> I find myself swept away by a couple commercials on TV. One of them is the commercial of just two legs extended out, you know, maybe with feet in the sand, ocean waves gently, you know, coming onto the shore with a bucket of beverages right next to them. And I thought, wow, that looks nice. Or it's the sound of a, a seatbelt ding on one of the airline commercials where it says, want to get away? Or you're going to have to help me complete this phrase. This is a commercial from years ago. It's the, the crazy busyness of uh, someone's life. And then there's the scene of a bubble bath. And they shout, Calgon. <laughs> Some of you wanted to go there. I know. You know, I have taught and preached many times. Uh, one particular passage, it comes out of the book of Matthew. This is Jesus. And he says this. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Another Bible translation says the, those same verses like this. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out even on religion? Come to me, Jesus says. Get away with me, and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of my grace. Doesn't that sound nice? You know, I've taught that so many times, and I will confess, even teaching it, I was in a place where all I knew was how to be hurried. I was anxious. I was fatigued. I was rushed. I was wanting something different, but didn't know how to change the pace, or I just wouldn't change the pace to experience a different kind of fruit in my life every day, every week, every month, and every year. Can anyone relate to what I'm saying? <clears throat> One of the realizations I've come to is that humanity tends to repeat its same mistakes and foibles along the way. Even though we should pay attention and learn from the past, we don't always. And we are gathered here as a Christian community, uh, rooted in uh, a faith that surrounds Jesus and God, who is placed in the story, God's story of Israel. And what I want to do today, as we lay the foundation for this new series of Pressing Pause, A Sabbath's Journey, uh, I want us to kind of like one of those connect-the-dot pictures. Do you remember those? You go from one to two to three to four, you just follow the numbers around, and then when you get to the end, a picture emerges. I hated the ones. I always try to figure it out before I even connected the dots. But I love the ones that you couldn't tell until you got to the very end. And then you're like, oh, it's a fish or whatever it might have been. But that's what we're going to do. We're going to connect the dots beginning with Israel all the way back in the Exodus, the Old Testament, to Jesus, to us today as we lay the foundation for where we're going in the weeks to come. How many of you saw the movie, Disney's movie, The Prince of Egypt? Anyone see that? It's the story of Moses and the Israelites making their exodus out of Egypt into this new promised land, into this new way of life that God was calling them into. And away from the strong arm, the relentless arm of Pharaoh and Egypt. Because you see, Egypt was the economic and production wonder of the world. Whether it was the cities they built or the cool buildings, what kind of buildings did the Egyptians build? Pyramids, very cool. Uh, or the, the, the amazing agriculture that they did. They, they were a nonstop engine of production, of consumption, 
and relentless demands that, with their never-ending, never-resting pace, actually made them great among the nations of the world. And the labor force, the people who were to meet all of these demands, were the Hebrews, were the Israelites, who had come to Egypt through a man named Joseph inviting his family. That's another Disney movie. You can go watch that and get all your Bible knowledge. But that family had now grown to be a nation within a nation in Egypt, a vast workforce. And Pharaoh uh, was relentless on what he demanded of them. Seven days a week they worked. They did not rest. And Pharaoh was addicted to more. In fact, if you would read Genesis in the beginning of Exodus, you would even see that Pharaoh couldn't rest. He couldn't sleep because his mind was always going. There were new projects, new things to do, and it was just more, 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 now, now, now. And he put heavy burdens on the people to say, you've got to keep going. No rest. Every day, more demands. When you live life in an environment of nothing but production and consumption, of doing more, getting more, uh, and never being allowed to stop, that, that forms you in a certain way. And certainly it formed the, the identity of Israel. And that's in the, in the Hebrews in, in Egypt, because it wasn't just for a few weeks or months or years. This was generation after generation of generation, every single day working without any stoppage. Now, God calls to people. He hears their cry when they just couldn't bear anymore. Uh, God calls them out of Egypt through Moses and takes them to the promised land. So that's the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? We're not going to cover all of that. But there's a lot of amazing things that happen in that, in, in that stretch on their journey to the promised land. One of those is that they were given the Ten Commandments. Remember that? Moses goes up on Mount Sinai and God gives him the commandments and he's to bring them down to the people. Here is why the Ten Commandments is one of the most amazing things God did in the story of his people. Before a nation coming out of Egypt, where all that they had known, their whole identity was formed with this production, consumption demands, working every day, is that they needed a new operating system for life. They couldn't be who they were. They had to become something different. Second, they needed to know God. Because what they knew was the heavy hand of Pharaoh. What they knew were all these other Egyptian gods all around them. But they needed to know the Lord God as their new authority and how to relate to God as God and not to Pharaoh or the values or other gods of Egypt. And they needed to know how to build a new society together. That would be very different than what they experienced every single day in the land of Egypt. And so the Ten Commandments offers a foundation to answer all three of those, those things. The first three commandments of the ten teach how we are to know and relate to God. The last six commandments talk all about how essentially we love one another, how we are to build society, how we, how we are to relate to one another. And the fourth commandment, sitting there like a bridge between loving God and loving others, is this fourth commandment to honor the Sabbath. Sabbath means to cease or to stop. Kids, remember that because I got some free ice cream coupons for the first few that can tell me that after the service. You're listening now, aren't you? Here's what the fourth commandment says. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. 
But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is within them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, God blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. <clears throat> the fourth commandment is our focus for these next four weeks. And if you will engage what you are going to hear, if you will listen to the Scriptures, and if you will begin taking the steps to press pause as we're going to share with you, I promise you, you will find not just rest, you are going to find a whole lot more in the process. To understand the fourth commandment, we have to understand the first commandment. And I love some of these verses. We, we read by some words of Scripture that never really stick, and then all of a sudden the light bulb goes off and we're like, wow, like, I never really caught that before. The first commandment says, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. God says, I am the Lord. I am is this phrase, this word that God uses to actually to be the name of himself. When Moses, when God taps Moses on the shoulder, essentially at the burning bush, he takes off his sandals, uh, and he gives God, the, or Moses, this mission. God, Moses is like, yeah, like you want me to lead an entire nation of people? He goes, I don't think I'm your guy. Who, who should I even say sent me? And this is what God said. God said, tell them, I am sent you, or I am who I am. If I'm Moses, I'm like, yeah, that's not going to really fly with the people that I'm going to, like, how am I going to support that? That's kind of, but, but that, that I am means like the ultimate. And we call God like Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, like that is getting back to this phrase. Jesus used the, the phrase I am all the time. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. This was... Uh, an important phrase. And not only God is declaring that about himself, he's saying, I am the Lord, your God. Your God. A declarative statement on who Israel was to worship and give allegiance to alone. Nothing from Egypt was to carry over into this new way of life. And God said, I did in fact call you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Egypt and slavery had to do with the culture and lifestyle of this relentless work and activity that dominated their lives. No rest. Everything in their life was geared to meeting demands that just never stopped, an all-consuming slavery, if you will, to the ultimate gods of consumption and more. In just a few words, at the beginning of that first command, God is shifting the entire paradigm for a nation of people. And not just their paradigm, their rhythms and the values of how they would live life every single day. God is saying the old way, Egypt is over. And you are never to go back to that kind of life again. And he gives them kind of 10 rules, laws that are going to help them build this new life. Sabbath means to cease holy, honor the Sabbath and keep it holy means something that's sacred, something that is set apart. And so here, the big idea of what God is saying in this fourth commandment is that God's people, out of worship and allegiance to him, are to set one day aside every week as a holy pause to rest 
or as I would say, the bridge, what it means to love God and love others as a regular rhythm of life. Those hearing those words so many years ago, those Israelites in the desert, hearing Moses share this with them, uh, they had not known a day in their life where they did not stop. It would have sounded so foreign to them because they were in a vicious system of doing and maybe never learned how to be a human being. But the question I keep asking myself, of all the commandments that God could have given to a people, you know, the, the, the top 10 list that God's going to hang his hat on, why would he make one of the non-negotiable top 10s the Sabbath of actually just taking a day to stop? And if you would read later in Exodus, God even said, those who will not honor my Sabbath will be put to death. That's how serious God was about them learning how to stop. So let me answer that question of why would the Sabbath make the top 10 by perhaps describing what it looks like if we actually lived into a Sabbath life. The first thing, when we honor the Sabbath, we live into the biorhythms of God's creative design. Honoring the Sabbath orients us towards refreshment and sustenance. We learn to flourish and thrive. We have seen it already all around us. God's creation is in a rhythm of there's time to, to grow and flourish and there's time to cease, to rest. We, we launched this campus several months ago and there was not a leaf on, leaf on any of these trees. It was barren, but then it came to life. And in a few months, we're gonna see it. There's time for uh, creation. It's time for whether it's flowers or trees. We see it in the animal world. The little geese have grown up. They're getting ready to, I don't know if they fly away or not geese, swans. The cygnets, right? I don't know where they go or what they do next, but they're not little anymore. But then there's a time to even hibernate. God has designed us in such a way that we're to work even for six days. God says work hard. But then one day we cease, we stop, we rest. That is how God created us. And when we do not rest, when we do not honor the Sabbath, what happens is that we get depleted. We begin to disintegrate. And when that happens, we begin to glean the fruit of anxiety or depression or fatigue or violence, usually from the inside out, broken relationships form around our restless lives. Tell me that doesn't sound like the news every single night. And without regular pauses, our hearts became, become distracted and, and divided. We, we become a multitasking frenzy. How many of you have tried to have a meeting with someone or sat at the dinner table with phones buzzing or ringing or you know, you're trying to talk to somebody and they're like, uh-huh, and they're like, texting or doing something, uh, it's hard. Or how many of you have even multitasked in church? Perhaps you've thought about, oh shoot, we need to get that at the store. And so you're, you're making little notes or you're even sending texts during, the, don't raise your hand if you're doing that <laughs> right now. Just feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Walter Brueggemann says, such multitasking with a divided heart means that there is no real work stoppage. No interruption of the frantic attempt to get ahead. And when we're depleted, when we live in that cycle long enough, we begin wanting escapes, like those commercials, where we find other things to kind of give us a temporary escape from reality, and sometimes those things can be harmful to yourself, to others, to your relationships. So I don't see God striking people dead anymore because we don't honor the Sabbath 
But I would say we, perhaps we encounter a slow death from the inside out when we forsake the rhythms, these creative design that God has put within us. Second, I would say honoring the Sabbath, it, it forms something in you that just will not be formed any other way when we learn to devote our lives, our families unto the Lord. The Sabbath is an act of worship. And when we learn to do the Sabbath well, it actually impacts the other six days of the week as well. One of the best books I've ever read on Sabbath is Mark Buchanan's The Rest of God. I'll leave it up here. You can snap a picture of it, maybe get your own copy. But he talks about not just the Sabbath day, but what the other six days mean in relation to this rhythm of regular work and Sabbath. And this is what Mark says. <clears throat> he says, in a culture where busyness is a fetish and stillness is laziness, rest is sloth. But without rest, we miss the rest of God. The rest he invites us to enter more fully so that we may know him more deeply. Some knowing is never pursued, only received. And for that, you need to be still. Sabbath imparts the, the rest of God, actual physical, mental, spiritual rest, but also the rest of God, his personality, his nature, his presence that we often miss in our busy lives. Or as Brueggemann would say, Sabbath is not simply a pause that refreshes. I don't want you to hear like you just need a day to just, okay, like to re-energize just to, to take a nap. It might be that. But it's so much more, as, as Brueggemann says, it's a pause that transforms. Sabbath is an invitation to receptivity, an acknowledgement that what is needed is given, not seized. The third benefit of keeping the Sabbath is that we actually learn to break the Egyptian cycle, the, the gods of production and consumption, both in you and in our culture. You've heard me say those two words a lot, production and consumption. And I've said those because I believe where we sit today in the western suburbs of Chicago and America, we are dangerously close to going back to Egypt if we haven't already put one foot back in that Egyptian cycle of just more and more and now and now. And we need to pause and we need to ask that question seriously. Brueggemann again writes, Sabbath provides the time, the space, the energy, and imagination for coming to the ultimate recognition that commodities, more stuff, more activities, they do not satisfy. Sabbath is the arena in which to recognize we live by faith, not by possession, that we are satisfied with relationships with God and one another, not by commodities or more doing and more stuff. Jesus once said, what good is it to gain the whole world? And you can gain the world if you never stop. But Jesus says, but you may lose your very soul in the process. Lastly, Sabbath teaches you to trust. Trust in God to sustain you and to learn to resist the now and the more. Sabbath is a day, but it's also an attitude. And we've talked a lot about Romans 12 is one of the verses we've, we've mentioned often that, that if we're going to reorient our lives, if we're going to bring change into how we live our life each day, then something has to shift in our mind that will flow through our actions. And in Romans 12, it says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. 
then you will be able to know God's will for you, his creative design for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. To trust in Sabbath is being willing to put the weight of your life into this practice without compromise. Did you know the word Sabbath appears 154 times in the Bible? Almost a third of those are in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And those four books are centering on who? Jesus. Sabbath was a big deal to Jesus. As God in human flesh, Jesus honored the Sabbath, not as some legalistic thing he had to do, but I believe Jesus saw it as an invitation to orient his life and to lead others to orient their life around the goodness and the unforced rhythms of God's grace. The prophet Isaiah, of which Jesus quoted Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, more than any other prophet in the Old Testament, Isaiah says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a, Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord. <clears throat> or you might say rest for your soul. <clears throat> I'm going to go out on a limb that I would say, you probably understand a little more clearly now what Sabbath means and what Sabbath calls us to as opposed to the old way of life, that Egyptian life that we saw in Israel, but perhaps the, or perhaps the, the life we've cultivated in ourselves now. We, we can understand Sabbath. The challenge then is how do we press pause today when there's so much demanded of you and me? Well, let me offer a suggestion because that question, that's the big question for this whole series. How do we learn to press pause? Here is your homework assignment this week. <clears throat> if you dare, how's that mission impossible? If you choose to take, take this mission, something like that. Here's what it is. Try to practice one Sabbath day before we gather next week, or maybe it would be next Sunday would be your Sabbath day. And there's five things. I know that sounds like a lot, but you can remember them. Five things that I would ask of you. Do no work on that day. Whatever work means for you and the regular rhythms of your week, on one day, do no work. Number one. Number two, do not buy anything. Oh. <laughs> I know. If you're going to have a cookout, you got to go to the store the day before or some other day. You have to be prepared, but do not buy anything. Because if someone else has to work so you can rest, we're not building Sabbath in our culture. I know they're going to be there anyway, but I'm just saying to cease from buying. It gets us out of that cycle. No work, no buying anything. Uh, third, do something that is life-giving for you. So Ann just had a birthday last week, and, and she took a nap. She read a book. Why, the rest of us worked. She had a Sabbath, but like the rest of us didn't. But, but it, was a, it was a good day. Was it not a good day? It was the best day. Yeah, I'm not asking you to apologize. I'm just saying... Now we're, now we're into marriage therapy. No. But you could, I saw something come to life in her because she ceased, she paused, and just had a great day. Do something that refresh, brings refreshment to you. And since it's a day unto the Lord that, that God said, keep my Sabbath holy, we want to stay connected to God. And so the other two things I would invite you to do is just read something out of the Bible. Perhaps it's the Ten Commandments. You could start there, one of the verses you've already seen up on the screen or something else, and spend a little time praying. It doesn't have to be fancy. It can feel awkward, but 
God will have a smile on his face when you're listening to his words and you're just, you know, talking and listening to him. And then invest in a relationship in your life. Let it be a bridge to loving God and loving others. Maybe around a table. That's your homework. <clears throat> no work. Buy nothing. Do something life-giving on your Sabbath day and invest both in God through his word and prayer and into a relationship in your life. Can we try that? All right. So I'm committing myself to do this with you because I will confess I have this, this has not been something I have honored. I've not honored God with this in my life, and I'm working to do that. But all we can do is take a step. We can't wave a magic wand and change everything. We can only take a step. So I'm just saying, let's take some steps together and see where this leads us. Sound good?